Welcome to another conversation with my future skill, the podcast where we talk with interesting people about what skills we have and what skills we need to have to be present in the future. In this episode, I talked to Janet Alexanderson. Janet is a former human rights lawyer who turned into an international contracts lawyer and negotiation strategist. She's also the co-founder of a program for lawyers that are looking for alternative paths to pursue their legal career. She is on a mission to creating trustworthy business relationships through negotiations and legal boundaries. And this is where our really fast-paced conversation comes in, where we talk about boundaries as a teaching as well as a learning opportunity and as an expression of your own power. We chat around boundaries as a chance to get to know yourself better and also as a chance to explore your curiosity. I hope you enjoy the conversation just as much as I did. Here's Janet on Boundaries. What's your standard answer when you're invited to a party and people uh, ask you, what is it do you, that you do all day? Oh, that's a good one. It depends. If I really want to answer shortly, I just tell them that I'm a lawyer. And if I want to give a long answer, I tell them about all the creative ways I'm doing lawyering because I'm not doing it traditionally. So lawyer, but not the lawyer you think of, sort of, is my <laughs> standard answer. <laughs> What would you say influences if you use the short answer or the long answer? If I'm at a traditional setting where people are working nine to five, use the short one. If it's a setting where people are sort of forging their own paths or are entrepreneurial, I give them the long answer. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I found that really interesting when, when we got together because we know each other for quite a while now. But the conversations we had were never in a lawyer-client situation, or not even in a, in a legal setting. It comes up every once in a while because, well, that's your background. Now, yeah. It shows sometimes, <laughs> but we're never really talking about that. So, so it's interesting for me to see how people switch their path from the traditional, well, if, if I say I'm a lawyer, everybody would know what to expect of me in a way. They have a picture in their head. Um, well, spoiler, I'm not a lawyer. I just used that as an example. But um, if I would use that, I would totally play into a picture people set up in their heads. So what would you say made you get out of that box? Mainly because it's such a restricting box, to be honest, because there's so many, as you said, preconceived notions. And there's also a limited way of relating with clients or how to do business or what even to offer people in that specific box. It doesn't mean that you're doing something weird outside of it. It's just that the tradition is strong in the legal field. And I wanted to be able to help my clients better and make it more affordable for the people that could afford it without putting more strain on my time. And also kind of moving into adjacent fields, as you know, but people who are watching don't know, but I do a lot of negotiation consulting and creating products for that as well. So those were skills that I knew my clients needed help with, but I was sort of giving it to them at the tail end of the legal information that they needed, and sort of developing more and more legal adjacent services that I'm calling it, that are sort of not in the normal legal practice, but still as needed by people. What would you say is the overlap between the legal background and the legal consulting and negotiation? Everything for me comes down to people figuring out what they want and me helping them figure that out. And every time you figure out what you want, there's boundaries. Because there are things you want and things you don't want. And that is kind of the intersection that is really interesting. And a lot of people need permission to actually have those boundaries stated. Illegal, it's super important because that makes up the contract. But even in negotiations, people don't really start with asking, what are my boundaries? They're just like, what do I have to expect, accept to get what I want? But like, what is the, the weird trade-off or deal with the devil that I have to make to get this thing? They don't really start with... I wouldn't even call it integrity because I think that's a harsh word. It's just 
where are my actual limits for this to actually be something I can deliver on my part or live with on my part, which I find interesting. I totally see what you're saying. Basically, when we approach negotiations, also kind of how we're taught until now, how to do negotiations, we always expect the other side to, or coming in into the negotiations with the goal to harm us, to push us down as low as possible. And we react to that instead of acting ourselves and putting out, okay, what do I expect from a negotiation? Yeah, I think we often see the entire exchange as something that is based on extraction, which is interesting. You mentioned the boundaries thing in it, because I, I found that very interesting and important. Because basically boundaries should be at the beginning of everything we do, right? Figuring out what is it that I want? What is it what I'm willing to give in a way? What am I comfortable to give? all of these considerations, but mostly we talk about boundaries when it's too late. When somebody stepped over our boundaries, then we notice, oh, fuck, this was not what I wanted. Uh, yeah, and even we, we rarely talk about boundaries in an entrepreneurial or professional setting in that sense either. We talk about it when it's personal, but not when it's professional in, in, in the same sense. And even it occurs in every single field, like looking at the work you do, it's all about setting up the boundaries for what you're supposed to do with the tools you have, for example, or the boundaries for the, what types of tools we are using just to, to keep things focused, but also to give people a container to feel safe in and to get their kind of bearings within. That's when you said professional boundaries. I found that 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 completely was like, oh, that was kind of a light bulb moment because yes, we try to bring that more and more into the workplace, but it's not a thing that is there by default, not at all. Um, it's something we always step over, um, have ourselves stepped over because we think we need to make a career or that is what you need to do to go forward or whatever. Um, and it's, it's sort of been worked because we talk about professional integrity, which is as close to boundaries we get, but it's all about keeping your word, being true to other people, showing loyalty. So it's not about you. Once again, it's about the other people and how you show up for them. Interesting. Because then we bring that in again, we, we connect that to say what, what we got in earlier, we're letting the other people decide a negotiation or we're letting ourselves down in negotiation to meet the expectation that the other side is going to stamp on us. When at the same time, boundaries doesn't mean we're blocking somebody off, but actually it supports how we are in service to another. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it allows them to know how they can sort of get the best from you in this exchange. Not in well, an extractionary way, just like this is how I can best show up and deliver. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say from your experience with the clients that you work on or the people that you work with, what is mostly missing? Which kind of understanding do you, do you need to start with? To the first thing, which is not even a boundaries thing, but they are allowed to ask questions. If they don't know what the other party wants or what they're expecting of them, you can ask. And it, a lot of people, it doesn't cross their minds that this is a conversation, that a negotiation actually is a conversation. They just are very tense about the whole thing. They're just waiting for like to hear what people say, but they're not actually asking questions. And then asking questions, you can also sort of reveal your boundaries by asking, would this mean this or that? Then so people can tell them if it means that, you can say, that will probably not work for us unless we're compensated in this way, but this would work for us without any extra compensation, for example. It's just, <laughs> you have to make it a conversation and that's what people are not doing. They're just making this, it's like a ping pong back and forth of, demands that you might be making if you're that person or acquiescing to if you're the other person why is it for hard so uh, why is it so hard for people to understand that 
I think we tend to see negotiations as this adversarial thing. Like people have watched too much Shark Tank <laughs> or too many TV series where it's very like domineering personalities, dominating someone who is not domineering. And a lot of us identify with the person who is the non-domineering person. So we feel like that is the role, the only role we've been shown that we are comfortable playing. Because we don't want to go in and be the dominant person. Or maybe we can't go in and be the dominant person because of hierarchies. Um, so it doesn't leave us a lot of personas to adopt or even a game shown to us that can be played in a way that isn't those two roles. So I think that mm -hmm. it's partly that. Hmm. Which is interesting when you said the personas that are presented to us that we can choose from. Because um, that, for me, on a first glance, kind of contradictory to what we said before, we're showing up who you are yeah. to be in support of others. So we're choosing those roles that don't necessarily fit us and then expect that to work for us. Yep. Which obviously it doesn't, because otherwise there wouldn't be a need for your services, right? No. <laughs> it's just, we also tend to only think of negotiations as these high stakes things. Like you're negotiating your dream job, you're exiting a company, but you're actually doing it all the time. So if you started actually noticing that you're doing it every single day, it wouldn't feel so scary because you know you have a lot of practice, how you probably negotiate the smaller things or how you should negotiate the bigger things. So just consider like, when was the last time you, you negotiated dinner with your roommates? That's the same. Hmm. So will you say that's a good exercise to start? Negotiate dinner with your roommates and then go up from there? <laughs> yeah, dinner with roommates, bedtime with children, like all of these things. It's, it's just, yep, do it. I want to say it might be easier to, to train boundaries there as well because yep. um, especially with might be food out there that you don't like or that you can't eat because of allergies or yep. other things um, or simply that you, you don't want in that moment like you might don't want to or you might not want to want uh, cereals for breakfast might be a thing um, so using that using that knowledge about oneself, what you like and what you don't like. And uh, I want to say, you, how do, how do I say that? Help me out here. How would you, how would you finish my sentence? I think you actually stumbled onto an even better analogy because you mentioned allergies and foods you don't like and foods you don't, and you do like, because that's kind of the boundaries. Um, because you, there are hard no's, right? The bottom lines, you cannot eat something that you're allergic to that will kill you. You'll never agree to that. There are things you really dislike, but that's a sliding scale. How much do you dislike it? So things that are under the hard, hard no end will probably be the same as the allergies. You will not do that. But when it comes to Okay, so I slightly dislike it, but I'll maybe get something else that I like. And I know that they're also doing a trade-off. Maybe you're okay with that, but you have to have the conversation to know that. You have to know the person a bit to know that. And then you have the foods that you like, right. that you want to promote in, in this conversation. So you're lobbying for them because that is what you want to get out of this exchange. Kind of see it like that. And I think food is a great example because we already know our preferences without having to like exercise or like think about it or like brainstorm. Right, right. <laughs> I was just thinking, what would you answer somebody who asks, why should I even work on my boundaries? Why not just go through the world and let, let everything happen to me? Why take the active part in it? I think if you're someone who is annoyed by other people taking advantage of you, which is your perspective, right? Because you're allowing them to do that. So they don't probably don't even see themselves as taking advantage of you. Or if you're in business, you're annoyed by scope creep or people not delivering what they promised or things being very undefined and you feeling uncertain. 
things costing more than you expected. Like all of these come from you not having made clear your boundaries. And what is also important, understanding their boundaries. So if these things don't annoy you, you can just go, go on ahead and have like a normal life that way. But I, I think what you'll get from that is much more clarity in your relationships with other people, professional or personal. So that you don't have to spend time dealing with conflict later or clearing up things that should have been made clear before you even started whatever relationship you have with the other person. So it just saves you from future future headaches. Hmm. Fair point. Good point. Yeah. And especially the clarity in relationships, because I want to say many people ignore how them being indecisive or not really knowing which standpoint they should take makes it hard. I, I want to say to evaluate them. I don't mean that in a putting in a box way, but that plays into how much can I trust the person? How much can I rely on the person? All of these things that are influenced by you not making clear what you need and what you don't want um, or what you also what you want um, asking specifically for what you want um, can also be part of that. absolutely and even in a professional setting I always see it as sort of dating you know so if you go on a date with someone and they refuse to reveal one preference they don't tell you what they work with what they do what they like who like nothing about themselves why would you go on a second date Hmm. So what would you say, keep playing the dating, uh, the, the dating uh, <laughs> analogy a bit further, what would you say is a sexy boundary for you that would ask you or would, would make you go on a second date with a potential client or? If they're very specific, like I, almost if they have a quirk, like uh, they tell me that they only do audio, maybe never video, and they have a very specific reason. That sounds legit. They have thought about this, and they know that this is working. Sort of them convincing me that I will get better from them if they have this boundary in place. Mm. So it's not even. It doesn't necessarily something that makes it more inconvenient for me. It's just like out of my norm, maybe a little bit makes me understand how they're working because they're explaining why they're doing this because they know it's out of the norm to have this type of boundary. Or someone who tells me they don't do email and then explain this alternative solution, which is hopefully not Slack for me because I don't like Slack, but <laughs> some other thing that they do that is more efficient and better for this type of relationship. So anytime they have a boundary that is interesting to me, but still allows me to get what I want in a better way that's interesting i think you just meant said an interesting thing or actually two things that might belong together um the first is that you need a reason for it so you don't just set up a boundary because you think that's cool but you you actually think about it why do i have that uh, yep. boundary up why do i want to keep that line um and the second thing you said and and that's kind of resulting from that is that your boundaries are also a learning opportunity for me. Yeah. Um, seeing the reasoning, understanding something, um, and looking into or, or staring in the eye of me not knowing everything. Um, kind of that thing, I know that I know nothing. So where do I learn? And boundaries could be one thing, one opportunity to learn something from the life realities of others yes and it's also even if you, i know when you're doing this back and forth in the negotiation it's going to feel awkward to state your boundaries so you might just want to start with asking what would make this easier for you what do you need from me or what do what types of things do you need to have in place for this to work so you start by asking them about their boundaries without asking about boundaries with that word because people can feel awkward you get two things from that. One, you'll hear what they need. And if they have thought about how what they need to, to deliver this, which is also interesting. Mm -hmm. And you'll also see if they have reciprocity because they should be asking you back, right? They don't. That's also interesting. 
again, back to the dating analogy, a good date is, is a conversation between people mm-hmm. um, and not just me stating like, this is what you need to know about me. Are you up for a second date? No, this is not how this works. <laughs> no. uh, interesting. So what would you say is the, how do you phrase that? Well, let me ask that differently. What questions, what type of questions give you the biggest chance to learn from somebody? So it's really about discovering the underlying motivation of why someone is there. So you might want to start to ask, like, why do you want this thing in in the agreement, if it's professional or even personal? But then start digging, like the lay- peeling the layers back, like what is the context? What will this achieve for you? And sort of what is the driver behind? Because behind? you want to reach the underlying value. Mm. So if they say, oh, we want this deal because we want to expand our, our whatever. And you say, okay, so what is the bigger picture for that? And they'll tell you that they're looking for to outgrow a competitor maybe. And then you're like, okay, so what is... Why is this important with the competitor? What is behind that? And they then they start getting to the value. So it's kind of digging because the value is worth more to them than this deal. Once you start peeling back there, you understand the playing field and what is driving them. And then boundaries will become clear. Even if you're not asking about boundaries, you'll know that, okay, they're doing this because they want this bigger thing. So you, if you have boundaries in your way that will chip at their bigger thing it's not going to be as appealing to them it's the same for you so you need to know the bigger picture of what this specific exchange and how it sits in the ecosystem of everything Mm. yeah do you think one can learn negotiation by the book or would you say, if you don't learn about uh, your values and if you don't learn about which uh, boundaries come out of these values, you might as well let it be? I think you can learn the act of negotiating from a book, but I don't think you can learn to have good outcomes for you from a book. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the yes and no to that. <laughs> because you have to learn what works for you, what role you want to take. And a lot of people, default into roles as we talked about i meet meet a lot of women that fall into a mediator diplomatic role helping the other person get what they want but they forget to represent themselves and things like that it's just we never really question the roles that we take on and we don't really step back into evaluating our own negotiations because that's the only way you can learn like did you get what you wanted from this How was the execution, not just the exchange, because that was probably intense for you, but go back a month or two after or however long it takes for this agreement to play out and see, did we stick to the terms? Hmm. Were they the people that I thought they were when we were negotiating? What are the questions I would have asked if we were doing this all over again? Because that's going to tell you how to negotiate the questions you didn't ask. One of the questions that most people forget to ask, because parking back to what you said before is, what would make this a success for you? Because it's going to tell you what they're expecting. It's funny because it's mostly the questions you didn't ask that bring you further when yep. you actively think about them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just evaluating, but it's the same. Like you started dating this person and then three months later, everything's on fire and you're like, I should have asked this question. I would have known everything, you know? <laughs> well, the questions that you didn't ask is, is everything essentially because you don't know what do you don't know? Mm-hmm. But if you ask the questions, you'll learn more about what questions you should be asked. Like if you evaluate an app after, you will know more. And like for, for the dating, three months in, things are falling apart, things are on fire. You know exactly what questions you should have asked this person at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Or at least what situations you should have gotten into to see their true colors. And taking stock of your negotiations is the best way to learn because it's very individual. 
And it's also individual to the fields that you're working in. A lot of people get advice from books, but the books are usually quite situational to someone's experience and how they negotiate. It could be, you know, we know FBI hostage negotiator or law professor, or they're very removed from what you're doing in your life. Yes, there can be overlap with what they're doing, but you need to figure out for you what works in your life and in your industry and with your relations that you want. So what do you think of these types of books that are out there on the negotiation? Would you recommend any who wanted to like kind of get into something or what kind of warning label would you give with the books? I would, if you're a newbie <laughs> to this, I would skip all the negotiation books, all of them. They're just going to give you ways to play a persona that might not be you. So the book that I would recommend is The Art of Gathering by Priya. Mm. Yes. 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 Which is essentially a book about negotiating relationships and groups and agreements and how to hold space and how to set up how people can interact within a container. That's it. Like the way she's describing it, it's perfect for someone who wants to ease into negotiations, but she's also really demonstrating how to express boundaries and create boundaries. Right. Right. Now that is an excellent book and I wouldn't have necessarily connected it with the negotiation, but just how you said it, of course, we're talking about boundaries here. So yeah, that are, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that is, uh, yeah, that is definitely a good choice for that. Um, and interesting also the, the thought to say, we want to talk about negotiation, but we're not looking into literature about negotiation, not on a superficial level. Um, but we're really getting down to the meat, what it is about. And it's not about the negotiation, but it is about keeping up your boundaries, um, staying with and staying in for them. So what book, what type of books or what kind of literature do we need for that? Yeah. For staying in the boundaries. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think the Art of Garden is a good start, but I think anything that is about decision-making and relationship building is something you can always have an analogy from. If it's tough conversations about anything, that's going to help you. Communication boundaries, anything that is exploring the edges of how to interact with people. I'm sure that would be interesting. I'm sure you can think of something from your field, you know, as well. Now that you mentioned it, I probably would throw the art of gathering in there as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I was just thinking because there are all these, these TV series out there. CSI Miami, CSI, CSI plus a city. <laughs> and at some point, you will always run into some format of negotiation, hostage negotiation or something else. And most of these in, well, I'm not a big watcher of these shows, so please forgive me if there might be an exception to the rule. But as in, in my perspective on it, it's mostly one tough guy going in and saying, this is what you can have. And he always gets it. So the question for me right now is, is that realistic? And do you see some of the things that we talked about, the boundaries, the values in it as well? Can you, can you break it down into those terms as well? Or is it just like some form of TV fantasy? thing can you learn something from it well i think yes but it's more about the strategy so if you see a hostage negotiation that is highly high stakes and you really only want one thing you want the person unharmed and the hostage taker usually wants some sort of transaction so it's a very transactional negotiation which is not what most people want to have only if you need to deal with the person in the future Right. So they're not really creating a relationship. They don't have to like beyond this exchange. Ideally, they would never meet again or like <laughs> interact again. So 
it's okay for them to just be transactional. Intersectional means that you have very clear wants. And if they don't match, you're just like, no. Most of us don't really do transactional negotiations unless it's like, I want to buy this cell phone plan. But even then, like, you know, you're going to be dependent on this company. So you're not going to be a complete pain in their ass. Right. <laughs> Most of the time, sometimes you will because you're done with them and you want to move on. But it's really, the boundaries are important when you're looking to actually repeatedly interact with this person or this company going forward. So that's why I think most of these situations, but when it's really clear that it's negotiations on TV, they're very high stakes, one-off negotiations between people. And that's very different. True, true, fair enough. It's like building a pop-up company it's going to run for a week. Who cares about culture? Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? Yes. Who cares about creating, festering things for the future? Because you're not going to continue doing things. Right. Right. It's yeah. a very short-sighted mm-hmm. point of view. Yeah. And you might even have to be short-sighted if you're saving someone's life. You, you can make promises that you will never deliver on. Right? So I think that is why it's not the best model always. Things you can learn because there's always human behavior. But I think rem- remembering that this is high stakes and transactional is important. So what would you do and what, what kind of tips would you give to somebody who actually really needs to get into a relational negotiation? Or it's not just about a one-off transaction. I would start, well, you should know your boundaries first, but we already talked about that. But also figuring out what are the roles you want to play with this person or this company? What is the role you want them to take? What is the relationship between these roles? How do you relate? Is there a hierarchy? Is it flat? What are like the other players around it? And finally, what are the different responsibilities that you're going to take on, that you're expecting them to take on? I would start there. Not even talking about the exchange yet. Like these are the things you're expecting for the exchange to work. And that should be rooted in your boundaries as well. But also maybe this is also speaking to the edges of the services you're offering or the type of relationship you want to have in general with people. And this creates both the aspirations and everything you're going to ask for, but it also creates a bottom line that is really easy to maintain because you know, like if they're not X, Y, Z, I, I just can't. I know it's not going to work. And you'll know that from experience. It's just starting to take inventory again on, on like yeah. past things that haven't worked for you, types of people and personalities that doesn't work for you to work with, stuff like that. Hmm. I was just thinking if that might also be translatable into the concept of networking. Because um, if we talk about networking, We mostly talk about a numbers game. We mostly talk about having the most LinkedIn connections Mm -hmm. because numbers help us grow our business or reach or whatever we want to grow. When in fact, so also from my personal point of view, the most interesting connections that I have are the ones that I have a relationship with. Um, sometimes when I look through my LinkedIn feed, I have people in there who say something that I have no idea about. And not because I don't want to know about that, but because for whatever reason, they're in my feed. We don't really have a connection. I don't really know what they're doing. So it also makes the entrance to a conversation really hard because I can't even refer to what they're doing because I have no idea about it. Um, And I have a feeling when you listen to these how-to-do networking um, gurus (laughs) that praise that it's just about the numbers, um, that always puts the responsibility on me to raise a number and to make a connection. But you will have a trade-off at some point. If you want to have many connections, you can't have a deep relationship with all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is the relationship really worth then? Um, if the responsibility to keep it up is always on you because you initiated it, but then you don't follow up. So you can't also, you can't really expect the other person to jump in there. Um, 
That's a really good point. It's funny how these, how these, that, that things with boundaries and values and, and relationships, it's, it always turns around these things. Um, it's not just that one-off, you like boundaries, good for negotiations. Okay. One-off done. Um, it plays into everything. Yes. And you're, you, I think we have to remember that we're complete people. So we're both professional and personal and private at the same time. So the boundaries you have in your private life should bleed into what you do in your work life. We're still the same person. I think it plays into the, um, the conversation about bringing your whole self to work. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree with it a hundred percent. I think we should account for the fact that we are different persons in different settings and we don't even have to talk about private professional. We are also different persons with different people in our private lives, for example. So not being one and the same person in every setting is not necessarily a bad thing. But what we do is we, we kind of compartmentalize our two people in one body, in a way, our professional and our private. And I want to say that this connect makes up for a lot of the, the psychological and mental health things that we're dealing with right now. Um, there has been an interesting TV series out lately, um, Severance. And the idea is when you work for a certain company, Lumen, you basically get your head split in two. I want to say your brain split in two. You have a chip between like two areas in your brain. So when you're at work, you don't remember anything from home. And when you're at home, you don't remember anything from work. This, the moment you leave the building, kind of your brain switches into the other part. And that is a really interesting notion in that conversation because it also tells us what companies are looking for, I want to say. Um, because, and, and if you look into to the systems that we're working right now, um, also tying in the thing about work-life balance. When does there need to be one thing and the other and there needs to be a balance between the two? Because um, that also says there's two areas that might not necessarily touch and build one thing, but there's one thing on one side, one thing on the other side, and then we need to balance that out. So we do not account for the fact that it influences both. And what influences both of these things is kind of our, our foundation that we build on, that are our values, that are our experiences, that is our knowledge, um, that is also influenced by each other. If I read a um, newspaper article at home, it's, there's a high chance I read it because it interests me of what I do professionally. Um, so the separation between the two, um, I want to say is a false assumption in the beginning. And how we can bring that together is building that foundation of what values do you have, what boundaries do you have, and stick to those in all areas of your life. And what you build on top of the foundation, depending on which area you're in, is another discussion, I want to say. Yes, and even looking at it as, who am I? That is really what you're asking, what you're saying when you're expressing boundaries and preferences. This is who I am. This is what I have to offer. And I think that's also why it's hard, right? <laughs> True. It leaves a bit vulnerable. True. It leaves us vulnerable and it asks us questions that we're not used to asking ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, except for maybe when we've been in therapy, but how well are we perceived when we've had a therapy? Also the stigma around mental health. Um, very big on that. Yeah. And also how, how willing are we to defend who we are if we're perceiving ourselves as losing opportunities or getting pushed back. Yeah. So it, it's probably going to feel like a gamble the first time. So, but how did you end up at that point? So how did you learn about boundaries and negotiation in the first place? How did you get into that? So 
I started out as a human rights lawyer, which is, there's a lot of talk about boundaries and values in a different sense than in many other legal fields. And I then went into family law, which is all about people destroying each other's boundaries in many different ways, doing really weird things just to annoy someone else because there's a lot of conflict. So conflict without integrity, without boundaries. So I sort of saw both sides. So when I started working um, with business, I just knew that I wanted to have boundaries in place so that I wouldn't have clients like the ones that I had in family law and that I wouldn't have conflict the way that I could see in the human rights fields. So it just became a practice that I had for myself, but I also saw my clients struggling with disappointments or being taken advantage of. So I sort of slowly introduced, maybe if you ask this, or if you tell them about this way of doing, or ask them these questions, you might get a better results. And they started slightly asserting themselves in a, in a healthy way. And I saw just great things for them. And it became a habit to kind of give them sort of a nudge towards negotiating while representing themselves better. And they all also feel, feel quite liberated in having permission to have asks and opinions and boundaries because they're not even, they don't even know they can, which is still a bit strange to me because I've been doing it for so long now that I don't remember not feeling like I can. But it's, I think that is the progression kind of coming from the human rights field family law into it, seeing how unboundaried relationships leads to a lot of problems. How different these fields at least present to me, like human rights, where it's really um, people aren't granted certain forms of boundaries. Well, in the family field, especially if you talk about divorcing and, and breaking up things, um, you're talking more about the pa active part of not respecting boundaries. Yep. The sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, why would you say it is that in, or what is your experience from working in the human rights field? What are the, the results, the outcomes, if boundaries aren't respected and met? So I think it's, there's two sides to this too, but I think the outcome is that people know what to expect. There's predictability, there's stability, which is kind of the point of human rights, that people feel safe in a space. But human rights can also be used as more of a weapon by the countries that say that other countries should use our version of human rights. Then use the boundaries of the container of human rights to get them to conform to certain behavior to get something else that they need, maybe aid. So I can see both like human rights is a really strong container and it's a really boundary container and it can be used either for good or for bad, which is true for any boundary. Okay. So to me, the, the healthy ones are where you allow a segment of a population or entire people to have stability, some sort of peace, predictability, safety, all of these things. Hmm. So, so you could actually say that just Boundaries are some form of human rights, right? Having your boundaries haven't met should be a human right. I think it depends on, on in which format and what level the boundaries, but yes, I think, I think boundaries shows that you are respected as a person and as an individual. Yep. The respect is because that's why we feel hurt when our boundaries aren't met because we don't feel respected. Yep. Um, and we don't feel supported or understood or taken into consideration, all of these things. Yeah. Interesting. So what would you see as, or what would you wish for? Answer that question how you want it to be. Um, for the future of negotiation and boundaries as important and crucial part of negotiations. 
I think in the circumstances where it's not a transactional negotiation, I would really like us to move away from seeing money as the bottom line and see relationships as the bottom line, because that will allow boundaries to be an important part of it. And also know that if you see relationship as the bottom line, you're going to see the longevity of the deals you're making or the agreements you're entering into. So you can see a much clearer picture of what value this can bring, what value you can bring. So it's going to give you more money or whatever it is that you want in exchange as well. But the relationship really will make or break the actual execution of what you're agreeing to. So I wish that we could move into that. Not in, in the, oh, I have to defer and coddle and support this other person and their journey and everything. Is, it should be a mutual respect for the relationship because we can also easily fall into the, once again, I have to do everything to meet your needs, but nothing to mm-hmm. find if we focus on relationships too hard. And relationships should be appropriate for the setting that you're in. So if it's professional, it should be appropriate for this exchange, but that could also be part of your boundaries. So it's really exploring the relationship part of it. I think it's important. If you could wish for one thing, people would understand right away in the fields of boundaries. What would that be? That having boundaries make make you easier to interact with, make you more interesting, make you a better partner, all these things. Mm-hmm. So it's not something you're imposing on others or making you difficult. It makes it easier to understand and navigate how to interact with you. I want to add that to set your boundaries, you don't necessarily have to play the strong guy. You don't have to... Um, Put your fist on the table and say, this is how I do it. This is, this is the line. That's unnecessarily healthy boundaries. Um, maybe it is for you, but it's definitely not a relationship building boundary if you block off the other side completely. Um, actually say that people who are more empathic build better boundaries or more healthy boundaries. Would you agree with that? I think they do it mainly because they allow the other person to express boundaries and then express their own. So they are more likely to bring up the conversation about boundaries. So I'm not saying that they're better at maintaining them. They're just better to actually bring them into the context. And I think that that in its own is super helpful. But even when you're starting out, you can just see it as... Imagine you're a rock star. What is your writer for showing up for this specific event? What would you absolutely need? What is, are things that would be nice to have? And what are things that would delight you? You know, what's on your writer? That, that's an easy way to think about the boundaries instead of like this popular way of thinking about boundaries at the moment. What would you say... Now, let me start differently. There are probably not many people, at least I haven't met many of them or haven't heard of many of them, who think about negotiations like you do. Mm -hmm. Um, So what would you say, except from contacting you directly, (laughs) where could people go to find help? Kind of a help for the first steps in the right direction. I would look to people in your network and the people that I know that think about it differently tend to come from some sort of minority. So people who are by society structures, not poised to be the dominant negotiator, because you can only be dominant if you have power already. So if someone who is not afforded power automatically and they're successful in what they do, they're probably good at negotiating. And they will be doing it differently. They will be ha- having to have considered boundaries and how to deal with difficult power stomping type of personalities. They will know. It's just that they probably don't know how to do it or have thought about it actively in teaching people, but they can surely mentor you and how to deal with these conversations, how to bring forth what you need. 
mm-hmm. and how to create a stable relationship when there's a power discrepancy, which is probably the first step. Even if you're not a person without power, you might feel powerless because you don't feel confident in this area. So talking to someone that you see flourishing that is from a group that doesn't traditionally hold power, do that. Which is an interesting part of negotiations, the power discrepancy in a negotiation, or at least the perceived power discrepancy. Um, So, so what we just, what we just talked about, everything being part of the negotiation, um, how much of a critical role is that power discrepancy, would you say? I think we're allowing it to have a traditional role. So let's say you're going for a job interview. This is your dream job. This is a company. They have a lot of clout. You're meeting with someone with power in the company. You feel like you don't have any power. At the same time, this company might be desperate to hire for this position. You have the exact credentials, which are a mix of things that are unusual that they need for this. You might have language knowledge that they don't have in the company yet that they need or whatever. I don't really know this, right? unless you pry or do research, but there's the difference in power is because you feel like they have power over your livelihood and that it's deeper for you. And they feel like you have power over the direction this department and this company is going to take, which for them could be crucial for their mission. You don't know that. So a lot of the power structures are just in our heads or are invented because we see the role as someone in the C-suite interviewing me who's not going to be in the C-suite to have more power. But we all have power. You have the power to say no. It might make your life infinitely more difficult, but you still have the power to say no. So a lot of the power structures, yes, they're traditional, but it doesn't mean that they, you see them as power directed towards you without reflecting about the power you may have in that situation to bring something to the table. It does have a a thing or, or what could tie that together is are you willing to own your powers? Are you willing to own your boundaries? Are you willing yep. to own your values? All of these things. Are you um did you make the 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 actual decision to own them with or without looking at the consequences? Mm-hmm. And with looking at the consequences could still be owning it. Yeah, but acting uh, accordingly. Blind running into something is never a good idea, I want to say. Other than maybe into a pool, cool pool on a hot day. But uh... (laughs) (laughs) exactly. No, but really consider like you wouldn't be here negotiating if they didn't want something from you, if they didn't need something from you. Yeah. That is power. So already being invited to the table is the first step. And yep. is a first power signal. Yep. Yeah. So how would you negotiate your way towards the table? That's interesting. That is interesting. I think <laughs> this is sort of beyond the scope, but it's interesting because it's, it's really having an interesting mix of something. So being the more power you want to have, the more unique of a fit you have to be or the more outside of the box, because if you're the standard thing that everyone else is, which is kind of nice for your future skills thing, the more you have something different, something that no one else has, the more power you will have, if that is applicable to the thing you're negotiating. So it's really good to be well-rounded, to be prepared, to actually showcase these things that are different about you than you could bring to the table that other people couldn't. That's how you get there. Right, I would say. So, especially if we're talking jobs, you know, you're going to have to have more than the one very common skill, you know? Yeah. And it is harder to find your way towards the table if you look like everybody else or if you have the same brain like everybody else. Just repeating the same old patterns makes you directly comparable to other people. Yes. Um, it is a bit of thing that we started off with. Um, if I say I'm a lawyer, everybody knows another lawyer that they can directly compare me to. So whatever I do, I'm always in comparison. I'm always fighting against that comparison that there's in people's head. 
that I cannot do anything about. It is just there. Um, yep. the, the only thing I can do is to fight against it and be better. When the question is, do we really want to have that fight? Well, that's actually not a question because the answer for me is no. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would want to say, nah, not interested in that. Um, so having something unique and knowing about that and being, being aware of it and then again, owning it. They're like, no, you might think that's a quirk, but uh, okay, that's, this is who I am. This is what I bring to the table. And in a certain point, of course, depending on, on the context and um, also sometimes how comfortable you are owning the quirk, take it or leave it. Yep. But and that alone needs your leverage in the conversation. Leverage, but also if they feel like the quirk is perfect for them, you're so uniquely situated and you're also fully accepted as who you are. That's going to work really well for you in the future. That's going to play out the way you need it to play out. So, yes. And that's really how simple it is with boundaries. You present this quirk or this specific thing that is you, and, or maybe that's how you work or the experience you've had. That's a boundary in action, you know? True. Yeah. Interesting. So what, what tip would you give people who now listen to that conversation and say like, oh yeah, actually boundaries might not be that bad of a thing after all. <laughs> I would say think of boundaries as standards, expectations, and permissions mm. and sit down and work out your standards. Those are the things that are always true. You can't really change them. And then you look at the expectations that you would have for this specific situation that you're negotiating. What do you need from this? You're expecting this. And then what are the permissions that you might be able to give people to sort of cross your boundaries? Because that's always going to be a give and take. There might be like skirting boundaries. So you can give permission, but you should let them know you're giving them permission. And you should get compensation for having your boundaries encroached on. I would just sit down and, and like mentally go over maybe the last negotiation you had, figure out what were the standards you should have had or that you did have, expectations and permissions, and map that out. That's the first really healthy exercise to start filling out all your standards because that's a working document, even if it's just in your brain for like any upcoming negotiation, you should always know. But we have standards for everything else. Like I have dietary requirements. I don't wear the color. I don't even know. And so on. Like we already have these guidelines for our lives, but we don't have them for these important relationships that we're building with people. But at least we're really not making them explicit. And so we're not working with them and thinking about them yeah. actively. Yeah. We just notice at some point that ah, something is off, something feels uncomfortable. But yeah. we don't know what to do with it in that moment. So we're not, we don't know where that feeling comes from. Yep. Sit down, yeah. write it down. I really love that conversation because um, it ties together so many things that I want to say are so crucial to whatever we do, whatever we want to do become, look forward to, learn in the future. Um, and it is, it, sh it shows again that a simple thing, and I'm not meaning simple in execution, but simple thing as negotiation actually consists of so many things that on a first glance have nothing to do with negotiation. Exactly. But it ties together to that beautiful package that can then bring us somewhere. If we know about these, if we own them, if we're aware of them, if we make them explicit, um, it's, that's always fascinating to me. Like what's the underlying thing to that? What on a first glance has nothing to do with it. That's the most fascinating thing going down there and seeing. And it's like, yeah, we're not even negotiating. We're just having a conversation about what are the boundaries of this thing we're agreeing to. 
Right. Upper boundaries, right. lower boundaries, still boundaries. Thank you very much for the conversation. Thank you for I having me. I had a really great time. Um, I learned so much. Um, I took a hell lot of notes while we were talking. Um, yeah. What, any last words <laughs> that you want to say that you want to give? No, I, really like, with them? I really like the concept of what you're doing with future skills. Cause I think we're on a, as a whole, like you talked about negotiations, people don't thinking about the underlying skill. And I think people are going to discover that they have a lot of underlying skills that they're not used to like utilizing, that they're better prepped or that they can become better prepped just by listening to the conversations you're having without having to become experts on this hardcore topic that you think you're talking about. No one has to become an expert in negotiations. If you could become really good at boundaries, you will become good at negotiations. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited I just, to see future skills unfolding. <laughs> I just had one other thought. And, well, maybe this plays out to be another hour of a conversation. <laughs> no, I just had one other thought. It's uh, when you were talking about how there, there's underlying things actually make what, uh, what negotiation is. We always think about negotiation as that high strategic thing. Mm -hmm. Which in the end, strategy is a part of it, but it's only a minor part of it. Yep. The strategy that you actually should think about is your own strategy. Who are you? What are your values? What are your boundaries? So you don't have to be that hard and strategic and logical strategy master to win over somebody in a negotiation. Nope. We're talking about exchanges between people. It's soft skills. You need to know yourself really well, and you need to be curious about the other person. That's it. If you would bet on somebody who's really good in soft skills or somebody who's a really good strategist in a negotiation, who would you bet on? If they're not doing a transactional negotiation, because that's very different, I would bet on soft skills. Mm -hmm. They might not get the best results in the initial stages, but in the long run, they're going to come out on top. Yeah, because that also plays in what you just said in the long run. It's not just, most of the time, it's not a one-off. It's mm -hmm. what can you give now to have the better um, result, impact, whatever, in the long term. Yeah. So and you should also have in mind that the strategist is not considering what they truly need. They're probably playing the game, which means they're playing for prestige or the maximum value or whatever they perceive that they should be getting out of it. They're not considering... Maybe the values of the company they're presenting or themselves or what this impact has on maybe angering a future partner. They're just playing the strategy. Right. Yeah. And with all the things that you want to achieve a good result on a quarterly paper, or we want to have the Porsche that comes with being two months or whatever, all of these short-term goals that we focus on and that we, in fact, this is totally a long game, if you even want to call it a game. Because if you talk about relationships, do you want to re make relationships a game? That's another yep. topic to that, but yeah. leaving that aside for now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Now, that was a really fun conversation. I really had, had fun. And as I said, took a lot of notes. Um, what would you say is your takeaway from the conversation we had? How would you, how would you describe that? I always think it's interesting when people see how it is applied laterally and the examples that you make and the connections that you make. Um, so to me, it re it's really affirming that negotiations truly impact everyone in some ways and how little it takes for someone to see it differently. Um, so I'm really thrilled that you're enthusiastic about this and like willing to engage about non-traditional ways of doing things and finding like the underlying current. Because I don't get to spend a lot of time thinking about this. I'm too, too wrapped up in like the daily work. So talking about the boundaries is really um, fantastic for me as well and 
I'm glad that you're finding applicability so quickly. So I find it inspiring. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. How can people reach you if they now want to reach out and learn more about negotiation slash boundaries slash everything else that we talked about? <laughs> yes. Um, I'm probably most easily reached through LinkedIn. It's just my full name as my handle, if that is what you're calling it these days. Um, and my DMs are open, so feel free to reach out. I'm happy to talk about negotiations anytime because it's, it's my fun place. <laughs> I can attest to that. Um, as I said in the beginning, we know each other for quite a while yeah. and we're having conversations about that quite regularly. So um, yeah, reach out to her. She doesn't bite. No. <laughs> cool. Thanks you. Thank you very much for, for being here, spending that time with me, discussing all of that with me. And thank you for inviting me. Bye. Thanks for being a part of this conversation with my future skills. The show is hosted and produced by me, Saskia Listler. Music for the show is by Music Unlimited. If you want to find out more or hear previous episodes, you can go to conversationswithmyfutureskills.com. You can also download this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it as it helps other listeners finding it. Hear you next time.